just want to go ahead and get started so that way we have plenty of time for questions. I also want to let you know before we get started, if at any point you have a question about what I'm talking about, my biggest uh, regret would be if you didn't feel comfortable enough like interrupting me, raising your hand, and interjecting. None of us likes to be talked at all day. That's what you guys are getting ready to go into is a lot of talking towards you. Um, but I know we learn best when we have open dialogue. So please feel free to interject, ask questions. Um, what are you doing right now? <laughs> I've got front row people over here that I need an usher to sit right behind that guy with the sweatshirt on. Uh, no, I'm just teasing. So I am Angel Perovsky. I co-pastor Radiant Life Church in Wadsworth, Ohio. And we also uh, have a campus now in Akron, Ohio, which is super awesome. So our campus pastors are up front. He's going to be the one heckling me. Um, so have my back, people, all right? This is what I need from you today. Um, until the end of the day today, I'm also the girls' ministry director for the state of Ohio, uh, working with the network office. So today's my last day. That's like wah, 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 and woo! So <laughs> however you want to take that, uh, just really excited about moving into uh, the next journey um, in life and just focusing on church multiplication and loving my church family right where they're at. So. So that's what's next for me. But the Enneagram, here we go. Are you ready for this? How many of you, raise your hands if you know a little bit about the Enneagram. All right, raise your hands if you feel like I know quite a bit about the Enneagram. All right, well, that's good. We're going to do a lot of basic stuff today. Um, and if there is anything that you're like, I'm hoping to cover this, please make sure you ask it and talk about it. Right now I'm doing a 10-week class on Wednesday nights, and I'm putting... 10 weeks of information in like 45 minutes. So I for sure am not going to cover everything, but I'm hoping to cover something that you came in here for this morning. Uh, truth be told, I hated the Enneagram for the longest time. Our associate pastor at our church was all about this life. I mean, he was investigating it, and that's, again, we'll get to his personality, but he's looking up all the things and doing research, and he's trying to be like, what are you, what are you? There he is, Matt Kelly, number five. So <laughs> that's my man. Um, so yeah, he loved it, and he kept trying to like, what are you, what are you? And he would take all these guesses, and I would take a test, and all these you know, free online tests, which there are many. Um, I would get a different answer every time. And I was like, oh, all right, I'm feeling. Some of you are shaking your head because you're in the same boat. So we're going to talk about that also in a little bit. But I was a little bit frustrated. So um, I was like, it doesn't work. I mean, so much so that I'm talking to friends who are clinicians. Like, what is wrong with me? I'm starting to take this personally. Like, I want to fist fight the Enneagram because it keeps making me feel like I am bipolar and I, I can't figure out what personality I am today. So, so I was like, no, I'm not going to do it. And then uh, I was going on a trip, and so I was like, just give me, give me a book. So I grabbed a book, and um, I truly recommend, if there's one, there's a lot of really good books, but The Road Back to You, that's the one that I'm like, this is it. This is the one that you can throw yourself into. Um, but in the opening of each chapter, it gives 20 questions. And so this was my way to figure out who I was. I had read each of that open, those 20 questions, and if I related to at least 12 out of the 20, I was going to go ahead and read that chapter first. Now, I've read the book like five times now, but that was how I originally started. So when I got to my number, which I am a six, and everybody who figures that out, they're like, no, you're not. You're not a six. You don't fit that label. Um, but that's what I am. And the six actually is known to blend. And we'll talk about that when we get to the sixes a little bit later. But um, since learning about it, throwing myself into it a little bit, having to teach on it uh, for 10 weeks straight, um, I am not an expert, I still don't know it all, but I really do see benefits of it. And I have seen personally how much it has benefited me as a pastor in our local church, working with our staff members and also working with volunteers, trying to figure out what they are and what makes them tick. God cares a whole lot about our relationships, right? I mean, at the end of the day, you have Jesus, who is surrounded by a bunch of Pharisees, and they're trying to trip him up. And they say to him, you know, what's the greatest commandment? And we're talking about Jesus is in a situation where he's like President Trump with MSNBC. 
or President Obama with Fox News. Like, he's not amongst friends in this moment. And they're like, which is the greatest commandments? And of course, we know that he says, love the Lord with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second is like it or equal to it. Love your neighbor as yourself. And it's important today that we recognize that we learn to love ourselves, that we learn to love others, and we do that by understanding. We do that by spending a little bit of time recognizing who we are, where we came from, those things that make us tick. Um, it is so critical that we take advantage of God's invitation to love him and love one another. So uh, the goal of this class isn't to become an expert. Um, we're not going to do that today. We don't ever really need to become experts on the Enneagram, but I hope that we learn to be experts on ourselves and on other people in the way that we love other people. Um, also, hello, come on in. We're just wrapping up the talk. Thanks for coming. No, All right, somebody told me I should do that, so I had to get it out there just once. Um, don't expect to identify with every number or every feature on your number, okay? You will not. When I read those 20 questions on the six, I identify 100% with 18 of the 20. A major... Um, thing on the Enneagram for a number six is that they're anti-authoritan. I'm not. I love authority. I'm like, oh, you're in charge? Okay, make the decision. I have no problem having the number two seat. I have no problem taking a step back. Where the number six anti-authorita figure comes out is, are you doing it wrong? Are you being mean? Are you hurtful to other people? Then that anti-authority would come out in me like, nope, I won't sit back and let somebody be horrible to somebody else. So again, you're not going to relate 100%. That's okay. Um, the Enneagram takes into the account there's a fluid nature of our personalities, right? Every single one of us are not the same every single day. Let somebody make you mad. What do you act like? Some of you in this room, you're shutting down. You're like, nope, I'm not talking. Some of you in this room are like, oh, come at me. Like instantly your chest gets puffed up. You're ready for a fight. Some of you are looking for detailed information and how you can dig up dirt on them. Like, you all respond differently. And I saw chuckles with each one. So I'm like, oh, I know who they are because they just related on a deep level. Um, but the truth is, it's important for us not to make the excuse. Um, when we learn about the Enneagram, well, that's just who I am because I'm a six. Or that's just who they are because they're an eight. Jesus was the best part of every number. And it is our goal in life as believers to be like Jesus, right? And so we cannot, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bounce around a little bit. We cannot focus or we cannot fix what's wrong if we don't know about it, right? We want to make sure that we understand ourselves, that we understand one another well enough that we can work towards that goal um, and learn to work deliberately around the circle. So if I know we're talking about a two, for instance, who is kind and nurturing and loving and warm and like the most empathetic number on the Enneagram type. However, they are like a crazy eight. They're an unhealthy version of an eight when they get mad. And so <laughs> there's like this walking contradiction. We can't say, well, they're a two and that's just how they deal with it. Now that we know it's an issue, it's the opportunity to go, I know that I'm in an unhealthy place right now because I am normally kind and empathetic and my craziness just came out what do I need to do to take a step back? What place do I need to be in? How much time do I need to spend with Jesus? So we're going to dive in and look at the personality types in quick review. Again, we're not going to spend a whole lot of time there. Um, but the first one we're going to look at is the perfectionist. Do you want to go ahead and, yeah, there you go. The perfectionist, that's the number one on the Enneagram. This is a moral person. All right, my middle daughter, ooh. I just turned that off. My middle daughter is a number one, and she has been a one since birth for sure. Um, when she was three years old, any of you who have children right now, don't worry. My other two were nothing like this, so don't be jealous. My first one broke me in, okay? She was the spawn of Satan when she was born. I'm glad that Jesus redeemed her, and we have a great relationship now. But my middle child, perfect angel, like, Eight hours through the night at two weeks old, at a month old, that girl would wake up at eight to ten hours, eat, and go back to sleep for another couple hours. Like she was so good when uh, she would clean or when she would play with her toys, she'd put them back away or line them up 
Uh, she would get out of bed and fix at three years old, like smooth out her blanket. I never taught her to make her bed. She just smoothed it out. She would, I never had to put, you know how like you have to put a gate on a door or like try to cage them in because at three, four, they take a nap and you're worried that they're going to do something ridiculous. No, she would sit on her bed and I'd have the monitor in there and she'd go, mommy, I'm awake. And if I didn't hear her or come right away, mama would not get out of her bed until mommy went to get her out. Homegirl is a one, all right? She is hardworking. She is detail-oriented. Um, they are very ethical, dedicated to making sure that things are done right. Um, but the true person of the number one is also, it's what they're motivated by, right? So Kirsten is one of the most hardworking, this is my middle daughter, most hardworking girls I know. She is going to do a job for you and it is going to look great. She's gonna to wanna to make sure that she's pleasing you. It is going to be done right. However, this sweet girl that everybody walks in the room and they're like, I want her on my team, is one of the most, oh, how do I say this? Don't tell her, don't tell her I'm saying this about her. No, I'm gonna tell her so that way you can. Uh, she is probably one of the most judgmental people in my family. Now I need you to understand my background. Like I grew up in a crack house my family is not all Christians. She is exposed to a lot of things. So her mom and dad are not on a very judgmental level. I'm like, I just hope you love Jesus. I'm not even worried about sanctification right now. You'll get to that. That's, that's my approach. Like, I'm happy you're here. We got a woman in our church right now that she's like, for the first time in my adult life, I can pass a drug test. And I'm like, yeah, girl. Like, I'm excited about that. So this is who she was raised with. But if somebody else does something wrong, number one on the Enneagram is like, oh, no, they didn't. I cannot believe that she would do such a thing. I cannot, like, to the point where we've had to take a step back and go, hey, hey, what's really going on here? But it's not perfect, right? It's not perfect. So I want to read just a couple things. A uh, core fear of the number one is this, being wrong, being bad, being inappropriate, unredeemable, or corruptible. The reason that that judgmental side comes out and the reason that she is such a perfectionist is there is a fear in her that she will be bad, that she will be unethical, that something would be wrong about her. With the Enneagram, your number is not determined so much by what you do, but with why you do it. You don't have to put up, that's okay. It's not about what you do, but why you do it. There are so many numbers that will climb the corporate ladder. It's not just the number one because they're perfectionists and hardworking. It's not the number three because they're performance oriented and they want to make sure that things are done right. It's not the number eight who would, is afraid of weakness. It's why you do it. It's our core motivator. So that one for the one, it's going to be that fear that they're not going to be good enough, that they're going to be wrong and that that's irredeemable in them. But that's also going to come out in other ways. Uh, their core desires would be having integrity, being good, being balanced, accurate, virtuous, and right. Um, but the one thing that they struggle with, if you think that you're one, this is how you could resonate. The one thing that they struggle with is resentment. Resentment. So it is that, that feeling of repressed anger. It leads to continual just frustration, um, dissatisfaction with them, themselves, others, and the world for not being perfect. And the healing message that you would want to tell to a one is you're good. You're good. You are good. Christ has redeemed you. So if I work with a one in the office, here's some Q&A time. What kinds of things do you think would help your relationships, your coworkers, your family? What are some of the things that you might say to them if you work with them? Probably, I'll help you. I'll start you off. We're gonna. I want two. I want two from the room because I'm in, I'm in a room with some smart people. This is the best of the best at synergy. Okay. I know, for instance, that if I'm gonna approach my daughter who is a one, and she hasn't done something right, I'm gonna instantly find what she has done well first. That's gonna be my approach. You killed it. I love that you took initiative on that. Wow. I wish that I would have thought to go ahead and do that first. Thank you so much for doing that. Hey, can I give you a way that next time we can improve the way that looks? And then I'm gonna put the other end of the bun on it, but oh my goodness, it was so great, 
right? It's not being manipulative. It's understanding that that is who she is at her core, and that's never going to change about her. She can work towards it. She can work with how she responds to it. However, there will always be something within her that feels like she cannot fail, that she's not good enough. There's nothing but outside of Jesus that will change that. So I can love her better, be more direct in the way that I approach situations and in order to help her. So what are some other suggestions in the room? What could you say to somebody? What's that? Breathe. Yes. That's so good. That is so good. Yeah, take a deep breath. What else? Yeah. Oh, I thought you had your hand up. Yeah, that's great. That's great. Anybody else before we move on? All right. All right, so let's go ahead and talk about number two, which is the helper, uh, the supportive advisor. These are the people that are warm. They are caring. They are nurturing. I had said they're the most empathetic on the, on the circle of the Enneagram, all right? Um, I feel like I'm in a sidebar right now. Somebody asked, did this have anything to do with astrology? It does not. We don't do that in the Assemblies of God. But, um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, so the, the two is that supportive person. You're, they're going to the, be the people that from the time that they're little, they're going to sense who is hurting. They're going to be the ones who know what friend is in pain. They're going to be the the student in the classroom that sees that the teacher needs stuff put away and everybody else is going out to recess, it's going to stay back and say, do you need help with that? That's going to be your two. They're naturally inclined to do the things that will love others, support other people, um, and they are motivated by a feeling to be loved and needed. They need to feel like they are important. They need to feel like you, um, almost like you can't live without them. Um, so it says this, their core fear is being rejected, unwanted, being uh, thought worthless, needy, inconsequential, or inconsequential, uh, dispendable, or unworthy of love. They need to feel like you appreciate them, like they are valued, um, but also their core weakness. Are you ready for this? This is so funny because to me on the Enneagram, and this is just my personal opinion, they're the biggest like contradiction within themselves. Because as a two, they're warm and they're inviting, but we jo I jokingly call this the crazy eight. You make them mad and they're like, like the unhealthy part of the eight in them comes out. And uh, they are defensive and protectors and they become a little bit more aggressive. But here's why, pride. Um, it's, they struggle with denying their own needs and emotions. Um, and they use their intuition to kind of think that they know what's best for other people. So an unhealthy two is going to go to an eight, which is the challenger, but the unhealthy side of that, and be like, this is what you need to do. You know those people who give advice all the time and that you didn't ask for it? Like, take a step back and be like, hmm, are they a two? Uh, because that's who they would be in an unhealthy place. Um, it's the mom. We have, <laughs> we have a mom in our church who has a grown adult children. All of her children are grown adults. And I had said, I said to her, because she was going through a difficult time, and I was like, honey, haven't you raised them to know Jesus? You don't need to, I'm not kidding, you don't need to tell your 28-year-old son that he needs to be reading his Bible every day. You did that. You raised him in that. You have already done that. But as a two, she's feeling out of control. She's feeling like my son doesn't appreciate me because their relationship is kind of like right now. And so she needs to tell them what to do She's because here's the pride issue that they struggle with. But I'm right. I know that I'm right. I know that this is what he's doing wrong. I could see that he's struggling with me. And as a mom who loves him, she's not trying to fight with him. She's not trying to be a jerk. 
She just wants to be able to help him and seek into his life because I know when he should listen to me because I'm his mom, and that's how it comes out. It doesn't come out like, oh, honey, I, I don't want to lecture you. I don't want to, right? It's coming out as, you know this, and you know that, and I've taught you, and I'm puffed up because I know what I'm talking about, and you don't. So that can be the way that that comes out. But the core message that a teen needs to hear in all of that is that you're wanted and you're loved. So a safe spot for her son, if I could like go to the state that he lives in and talk to him, I'd be like, hey, just call your mom and say I love you. If you just call him and been like, hey, I love you, I really appreciate you, the advice is going to stop. It won't stop all the way because let's be honest, they still know better than we do. But, <laughs> but the advice is going to slow down. It's not going to be so aggressive, right? So in the midst of working with a two, somebody who you know uh, needs to feel important, those are going to be your busy body. We all have them in church. The, I, like, I love Mia too, all right? Like, love Mia too. Please, if you move to my area and you're looking for a church and you're a two, join my team because you are the workers, right? Um, but that being said, what can we do to validate a two, to make them feel appreciated? Say there's a conflict. Say there's something that isn't right. How would you approach, how would you approach that? How would you walk into a room, have a tough conversation with a two that you really dread? Unless you're an eight, then you actually want to have the conversation. <laughs> We're gonna talk. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, as a two, this is good. Yep. Am I on point? Do you think that I'm right? Okay. Yeah. <laughs> that's good that's so good for the sake of the recording I'm going to like simplify that and say uh, tell them how valued they are but also remind them when they're doing too much but that you appreciate what they're doing um, so that's good that is great advice anybody else before we move on and maybe maybe this is just in your everyday life maybe it doesn't have to be a conflict situation but as a coworker or as somebody who you live with in your home, what are some ways that you would want to affirm or connect with somebody who you would see as a two that I had described? That's great. Um, I would say of the numbers on the Enneagram, be affirming on a regular basis. Um, but I'm gonna go take this a step further. Be intentional about affirming who they are, not what they do, right? Because if we know, learning about a two, that they need to feel appreciated and loved, they're going to continue to work for that love unless we remind them that they are worthy of love, right? So be intentional about speaking to who they are, not just the things that they do, which is going to be really hard for a two because they're going to be doing all the things, and you're going to appreciate that, and you're going to talk about that, but really taking a moment to say, okay, I, I so appreciate you. I appreciate your heart. But then also reminding them, hey, it's okay to say no. You know, if you're friends with the two and they're being asked to do another thing, like remind them, hey, take a step back. Have you prayed about it? Have you prayed? Is this what God wants you to be doing right now? Do you have enough time? What are you going to have to say no to because you're saying yes to this? Uh, so just being intentional with setting them up to succeed and loving them where they're at. All right, you guys ready for the number three? Bum, ba, ba, ba. This is my husband, so this is going to be fun to talk about because he's in the room. I'm going to try really hard to not use personal illustrations, but it probably won't happen. Um, <laughs> the number three is the performer. All right, These are the performers, which is funny because my husband is very shy. Um, <laughs> what do you have back there? Oh, you're so funny. See, that's perfect. He is the performer, um, success-oriented, image-conscious, wired for productivity, um, they're motivated by a need or appear to be successful, and they are afraid to fail. 
So despite the fact that that's a shy man who would prefer to sit at home in silence, he is an introvert, nobody in their right mind would ever know that of him on a Sunday morning because he is on because it's his job. And I won't be the guy who doesn't make somebody else feel welcomed or loved or appreciated, so he is performing, right? It's, I'm going to do this, I'm going to put my best foot forward, everybody's going to know I love them, I'm going to be so fun on the stage, like he does all the things that he needs to do to be a successful pastor, but when he gets off that stage, he's like, oh, that was exhausting, right? That is not, he's not a seven, which we'll talk about, that's not his natural entertainer uh, personality, but he's going to do that job because he knows if this is who I need to be to keep people's attention, I'm for sure not going to fail at that. Um, so it says the three, their, their core fear, being exposed or thought, as, or thought of as incompetent, inefficient, or worthless, failing to appear successful. So for if you're a three, it's that feeling of what if somebody else thinks I stink? What if somebody else thinks I'm not good enough? What if somebody else thinks that I failed in that area and I didn't do well? That would eat a three alive. Um, but it also, their core desire is this, having status and respect, being admired, uh, being successful. It's important to three that you are successful. So again, what we do um, is different than why we do it. A one is a perfectionist. You could see them moving up in a company in a corporate world because they're going to do all the things right. A three is going to perform because over their dead body is somebody going to see them failing. Oh, no. Like, I'm going to be successful, so I'm going to work towards that. The motivation is because... I need to feel like somebody loves me and I'm worthy and that they see me in a positive light. Um, however, their weakness is this, deceit. Now, it's not about, a three isn't about deceiving other people. It's the deceit within themselves because they are performing and performing and performing and doing things and striving so hard for excellence in every area of their life that they fall asleep to the feelings of who they really are, who God created them to be. And it's important to recognize that. So the healing message is you're loved for being you. You're talking to a three, like you are loved just for being who you are. Kind of like we talked about with the, with the two, uh, being intentional with that. I have learned, and I'm just going to hop off this real quick. I have learned as a wife that I need to recognize what he does around the house. And it's not that I don't appreciate him. There's 5,000 things going on, so it's probably going to take me a couple hours to recognize that he did the dishes for me, which he does regularly. I mean, man of the year, right? Um, but I'll walk in, and I'm on to the next task. As a three, he wants me to notice he did the dishes for me. He thought about me. He tried really hard to make my evening better by having that done when I came home from work, right? Um, so that's something that you can do to be intentional with a three is just recognizing that loving them well where they're at and uh, making sure that they, they know that they are valued, that they are appreciated. I'm not going to start a conversation with him when I'm frustrated with you did this wrong. It's going to destroy him. So taking a step back and saying, okay, how can I have this conversation? He held up a sign because he's a three for me, letting me know where my time limit was, so I'm not going to give you the opportunity to speak because, sorry. Because my husband's keeping me on track back there because he's a good man. Love that dude. All right, the four is the romantic. This is the most rare type on the Enneagram. If you think you're a four, you're probably not. Um, <laughs> no, it's a very small percentage. Um, and... And the reason being is they are, they're very artistic. Uh, they have this feeling like they never fit in. Uh, from the time they were children, they have felt different, like something was missing within them. And they love to be different. Like if they walk into a room and somebody else is dressed a little bit like them, they're feeling sad. So think about that dramatic teenage girl that, right, imagine her. A lot of those similar personality types stay within a four. Very dramatic, very, I mean, they are in their feelings. A good story about a four is, um, it actually says this in the road back to you, there's this guy who couldn't buy the Great Coast Roller because everybody told him to buy the Great Coast Roller when he was having a baby, so he didn't. He bought one from, like, 
overseas, had to put it together. He's not handy, so his wife had been gone. He came back a few hours later, and he was like playing his guitar on the couch, lamenting about why uh, he couldn't put the stroller together. That's a true four, right? Uh, they are all up in their feelings, but they're romantic, they're creative, uh, sensitive, and moody. Uh, they're motivated by a need to feel understood. The problem is that their core desire, they don't feel understood. They feel like something's missing. So uh, the book says that, let me flip my paper. Uh, the book talks about the four like this. It says that uh, their fear of being inadequate, emotionally cut off, plain, mundane, defective, flawed, or insignificant, and that their longing is just that they would be unique, special, and authentic. So they feel different, but they want to be different. Do you see how that could make somebody moody? Like at my inmost desire, I want to be different. I want to be unique. I want to be an artist. I don't want everybody else to have my style, but yet everything I'm doing pushes that away. Um, and so what do we do with a four, right? What do we do with that? Let them know that they're seen and they're loved for who they are. Celebrate their differences. Be intentional with that. Uh, I have a four in my church. She is actually in art school. She's so funny. The stuff she wears is outrageous. Um, but I'm intentional to notice that because I know it matters to her. So a four as a child is probably that kid who's wearing like the Harry Potter wizard cape to school and doesn't care. That would be like, I'm saying that like, I am not, that's not a joke. It's probably that person. It's the, oh, they're in college and they're still wearing a Pokemon backpack. Like in my, my first thought is they might be a four. That might be because they don't want to be like the other kids who are wearing this style and looking that way. They don't want to be in with the latest trends. But I know that if I work with a four, I need to make sure that they're heard, right? If I'm in a relationship with somebody, I'm going to pay attention to what they're saying I'm going to pay attention to their uniqueness and what is said and validate that. Even if I disagree, even if I don't like it, it is very important because their core longing already feels like they don't fit in. They already feel like something's missing and like they're different. So the best way to alienate them and burn a bridge is to reinforce that by letting them know that you don't care about what they're saying. Instantly, that's just, okay, I don't fit in here. You're just another one of many places where I'm not safe but they really want to have a connection with you. They want to be able to pour their heart out to you and know that you hear them. Not fix them. That's the worst thing you could do. Don't try to fix them. Let them be in their feelings because they'll come around. They're still smart like the rest of us in the room, uh, but they just want to be able to feel what they feel, process it, and get through it. Number five, I feel like I'm whipping through this quick. That's the investigator. The investigator, they're a thinker. These are your people, they're analytical. They can seem a little bit detached. Uh, Matt, who came in and waved a few minutes ago, he's a number five, uh, which is why he did all of the investigating on the Enneagram before he spoke to me about it. Um, but they're very private people. A lot of times they are introverts. Uh, they have a need to gain knowledge. These are the people who are going to study all the things. They're going to get all the facts. And the reason being is that it's their biggest fear to be in a situation where they feel incompetent. They don't ever want to feel like, I don't know what they're talking about. Uh, the book says it like this, that uh, their fear is being um, invaded or thought of as non-existing, incapable, or ignorant. Uh, they also hate hate having obligations placed upon them, and they fear that their energy is going to be completely just gone. It's going to be depleted. Uh, so those are things that would drive a five. If I put my time into this, am I going to have enough? Will I know what I'm doing? Do I have all the facts? Do I have all the details? They're going to research and research and research and will not speak on a topic until they know that they know. But when they know, they're going to know, and it will frustrate the tar out of them if they know and you're questioning that because they have done all the thinking through. Um, some of you are laughing. <laughs> Mandy's a five. <laughs> but they long to feel capable and competent, right? Um, so here's the deal, though. What you can say to a five is this. Your needs are not a problem. If you need some time, that's okay. I have learned in working with a five 
I don't ever approach Matt and want an instant answer. I do that with my husband all the time. That's the relationship we have. So it's my easiest go-to is to just like talk about it and I want him to like rattle off because who doesn't do that, right? Matt, Matt doesn't. And it makes him feel internally like something's wrong with him when he can't. I don't wanna put that on him, that kind of pressure on him. So I know working with a five that I'm gonna be super intentional about giving him time. Often, if I know I'm gonna have a conversation with him, I'll send him an email. Hey, we're gonna talk about this this week. I just wanted to give you time to think about it. That means the world to him. He would love to have at least a couple days. What I also know is you have to give a deadline on that thought time. I can't say, hey, I'd like to talk about this in the future. It needs to be, tell me if you relate to this. If it's too long of a deadline, they're also moving on to the next thing they're thinking about and it will make them feel depleted because they're not ready for it when it happens. You agree? So be intentional in those conversations and in those settings to give those people time. Again, we're not trying to manipulate anybody. We wanna love people well, right? Like, <laughs> that's the point. I want Matt to succeed. I love him. He's a hard worker. He is great. But I'm never gonna pop in his office and talk about a problem or something I would like to see fixed. No way. I used to. I had to learn the hard way, like I am making him feel like he's not doing a good job. But it's in my nature to like, okay, let's talk, let's hash it out. I don't care if I, for me, I don't care if I give you a bad idea, I gave you an idea. Now let's talk about why it was good or bad. Doesn't hurt my feelings a bit. For him, it's whoop, like I don't feel good enough, I don't feel ready for that. So just be intentional in those ways. The six, that's me. Um, the six is the only personality type that has two parts to it in the Enneagram. So the six is known as the loyalist. They're committed, they're practical and witty. They are worst case scenario thinkers who are motivated by fear and the need for security. This is so me. Um, and here's the deal with the six. You have a six because we're motivated by fear that you run away from fear. You retreat, uh, you overthink, you're inside your head. And then there is the counterphobic six, that is me. I see fear and I wanna punch it in its face. So like, there's a really funny article that said, I'm afraid I want to punch you in the face. And I'm like, oh my goodness, everything it lists is me, I'm that. Uh, so basically, even though fear motivates me, I run towards what, what makes me afraid because I won't let it control me. That's where my anti-authority comes in is I pull that six of I don't wanna be controlled by something, I don't wanna be controlled by my fear. Um, so the six is this, uh, we fear fear itself, uh, being without support, security, or guidance. We hate being blamed for something, targeted and alone. Leave me out, if I know you've left me out, I'm hurt, like that is incredibly difficult for me. Um, we're also afraid of being physically abandoned. Um, but what we long for is having security, support, guidance, a friend who we believe is like us. If I'm your friend, I'm your friend. Um, so Matt Kelly always describes me, he's like, Angel, if you want somebody to love you and care about you, Angel, you want Angel to be your friend. She'll be like right by your side. Good times, bad times, hard times, whatever, she will be there for you no matter what. But we also want the same thing for us. We want it to be genuine. We want it to be authentic and um, safe. I want a safe person. If I talk, to, talk about something with Mandy, I want to make sure that Mandy is not going to Hillary and having a sidebar conversation. I want to make sure that me and Mandy are here. I am safe. I can vent. I can be myself. And she's going to love me no matter what. Because I'll make the right decision. I'm a six. I have thought through what the right decision is. I just need to get it off my chest. Okay, now I'll go behave a different way because now I'm good. So the six is uh, we struggle, though, with anxiety. And the message that we need to hear is that we're safe and you're secure. I wanna make sure that whatever I'm doing, I'm safe and I'm secure. So again, everybody on my staff was blown away that I'm a six because they would expect that I would be one of the performing numbers or one of the, I'm not. I'll do the job. The reason that I will, <laughs> the reason that I will do some of the things that I do is because I would be afraid that I didn't, I didn't know how to do it. I would be, I wanna be able to plan for it. So I don't know how to do something. I'm like watching Google and YouTube videos and trying to figure it out if I gotta be in front of somebody and do that thing. Um, so that's what motivates us. Uh, the type seven, Katie stand up, be our seven. This is what she loves to do. <laughs> there is no better MC in Ohio than that woman. If you're having something at your church, 
she is available. You want her there. Uh, they are fun. They're known as the enthusiasts or the enthusiasts. They are fun, spontaneous, adventurous. Uh, they're motivated by a need to be happy. They want to be happy. They want to do uh, things that are stimulating and exciting. Um, but here's the deal. It's because they want to avoid pain. That's the motivator. <laughs> See? <laughs> Preach it, girl. Um, but it is. Their, their core fear is this. Being deprived, trapped in emotional pain, limited, bored, missing out on something fun. Here's where I'm not a seven. I'm like, I love to be bored. <laughs> Every now and then I need like, oh, I have nothing on the calendar. Yes, it's going to be Netflix and popcorn and thank you, God, right? Katie's like, that is torture. <laughs> there should be, if you want to like follow somebody's exciting life, they're always doing something. I'm like, I don't know that they're ever home. That I get tired from watching the things that she does. But as a seven, that's what she loves to do, adventure and fun and excitement. And there is, I mean, that's fantastic, right? We, we love that. Um, but what we would know as a seven is they need to be careful to not do those things to avoid pain. Being intentional about allowing them to be in places where they learn to just be. That it's okay to just be. And it's okay to feel pain. And pain is a good thing because God brings healing through our pain, and he brings wholeness in our pain. Any of us in this room who know Jesus, were there some times that you had to be like, wow, that hurt a whole lot, but after I got through it on the other end, like, he did some good stuff, right? All the things that are worth anything we fight really hard for. So that's hard for a seven, though. It's hard to fight, as an, I would say, as an unhealthy seven and push through that because they don't want to experience those painful feelings. Um, and the message that they need to hear is that you're taken care of. You're taken care of. We have a God who takes care of us. Amen? That's a God I know and serve anyway. Um, but what they can struggle with is gluttony, and that is not in an eating sense. They sh <laughs> <laughs> She's like, I'm going to double down on it. That too. Um, <laughs> so it can be in an eating sense, but <laughs> really it's anything, anything that is good, anything that these, this uh, type is maybe a little bit prone to addiction more than any of the others, because if it's good, they want more of it. Uh, they chase, again, they want to feel happy, they want to chase entertainment and excitement, so they're more prone to letting those things in, um, in, in excess. So that's something that you do need to be careful with. The eight. The protective challenger. Wah, wah, wah. Um, this is fun. This is her husband who's sitting right to her left, my right. Uh, these are the challengers. They are, <laughs> when they're unhealthy, the hardest type for me to deal with because remember, I'm a planner and I want to feel safe. But you come at me as an unhealthy eight, and I'm like, like everything inside of me is like, okay, intensified, right? Um, the eight is the challenger. They're commanding, they're intense, they're confrontational. They're motivated by a need to be strong and avoid feeling weak and vulnerable. So in our class, we had Anthony do a panel discussion, and this is what I mean about not wanting to feel weak or vulnerable. I know because I work with an eight, I am never going to text him, hey, can we chat? I worked with Gary, and I felt like that was respectful. Hey, do you have a minute to chat? Do you have five minutes? Like, that's how we communicate. If I send that to Anthony, instantly he's reading it. What's the problem? What did I do? What do I need to be prepared for internally? I mean, this is his own words. There's, there's a fight coming. Somebody sends that to me as a six who likes to plan, and I'm like, Oh, thank you. I would love to talk to you. I'm so excited. We're going to have a conversation. I miss you, right? That's my go-to. Anthony's like, oh, come at me, bro. Can we talk now? Like, that's instantly how he's going to feel. Um, so it's important to recognize that. If you have some eights in your lives, let's talk about them a little bit more. Again, we talked about this. They don't want to feel weak, powerless, harmed, controlled, vulnerable, manipulated, and left at the mercy of injustice. However, they are protecting your, They want to protect themselves and those in their inner circle. We all want eights in our lives. And I want to say I'm thankful for Anthony. He's a very healthy eight, a very healthy eight. Um, but this is somebody who I know that if somebody is coming at me, remember how I said sixes want to have friends that are loyal? 
I got that in that man, right? That's somebody who's going to have my back, that if somebody is talking smack at another campus, he's going to be like, uh-uh, we don't talk about our pastors like that. He's not going to be the one in the room to sit back and listen and not like it. He's going to be, no, pump the brakes. Like instantly there's going to be a reaction. That's not a bad thing. We read this and we think, oh, the eights are these like grumpy, aggressive. When it's healthy, it is great. All of these areas, when they're healthy, they're phenomenal people. Because, it, again, there's some times in Scripture Jesus was an eight, right? There's some times when he dealt with some stuff. And we need to be able to embrace that as well. Um, but what they can struggle with is lust, which isn't just in the sexual term, but the lust for excess, right? Uh, constantly desiring intensity, control, power, pushing themselves on other people in order to have a leg up. So that's something that we would need to be aware of if we have a six in our life, or we, or I'm sorry, a six, an eight in our lives, um, is that there is a point where we can push a little bit too much. Uh, what you think as a tiny little spiff, somebody thinks that is like World War Four. Like it's it's missed three, it went straight to four. The world has completely ended as we know it. Um, if they're thinking like, oh, it's just a little bit intense, no, it was a lot of it intense. Uh, so that's something that they'll need to be careful of and the one message that they need to hear is that they will not be betrayed I won't betray you um, if you have an eight in your life reassure them of that regularly I'm with you I'm fighting with you if there's a way that I can fight with you let me do it I'm on your side I believe in you I think you're fantastic I'm not going to approach Anthony and go you know what you did a horrible job at that and then not have any facts to back it up right I, if I feel like he had, did a horrible job, do you know what he's going to want me to do? Tell him. Some of us don't want to know it. That eight over there does. You better have that conversation with me. Otherwise, I don't respect you or anything you have to say. But I'm for sure not going to come to him and not expect for him to have some push. I'm going to expect that if I have to have a difficult conversation with him, he's going to push back, which means I need to have my facts straight. I need to make sure I've done the research. I need to make sure that I have looked back and I've dotted my I's and crossed my T's. Not because he's trying to argue back, but he wants to be able to have the best information, know you've thought it through, and he wants the banter. He wants it. As a matter of fact, you'd be a better friend to him if you bantered back and forth. That's not a bad thing. Those are the people that we love talking smack about, you know, like you don't like Ohio State, well then leave the room. You know, like those are going to be your eights. So we love them. They're so much fun to be around. But they definitely, uh, they're the challenger and and make it, make it a good thing, right? That's not always a bad thing. All right, nine, the peacemaker. The peacemaker. All right, these are your pleasant, laid back, accommodating. They're motivated by a need to keep the peace. That sounds so great, doesn't it? Um, they merge with others. However, they avoid conflict. Bum, 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 bum. That's kind of a problem, right? Anybody know that uh, conflict is a good thing, right? Conflict can be a really, really good thing. So it says, conflict, uh, this, this is the thing that they're afraid of. Being in conflict, tension, discord, feeling shut out, overlooked, losing connection and relationship with others. Those are things that a nine fears, the things that make them just anguish inside. Um, this is Hillary. So she's sitting up here. This is somebody else on my staff. So it's kind of funny that uh, one of them is like, oh, come at me with that crazy eight. And the other one is like, please don't have any confrontation. Hillary will shut down. If crazy eight comes out and Anthony, like, she's shutting down. There's conflict. That's too much for me. However, what the nine will do, they're the passive aggressive people. You know what I'm talking about. Passive aggressive. She's not going to banter back and forth. She's just going to not look at him again. She's going to intentionally walk by Katie, give her a hug, and then just keep walking to Anthony. Like, I won't come at you, and you're going to know because I'm not coming near you. Um, however, they have, they have a need for inner stability and peace of mind. That's what they need the most. Um, what they can struggle with, their deadly sin, is, as it's called, is being a sloth. All right, so it's remaining and unrealistic. You're, I love that she's giggling. Remaining and unrealistic in, in an idealistic world in order to keep the peace, remain easygoing, and not be disturbed by their anger. So they fall asleep to their passions or the things that are a struggle for them. So these are things that 
I don't want to deal with it. I don't want to address the pain. I don't want to have conflict, so I'm not going to think about it. I'm going to shut it out. I'm going to live my life as though it's not an issue. Um, so with that being said, they will do anything to keep the peace and harmony at all costs. They are going to do anything they can to preserve peace of mind. But they need to hear that their presence matters because the nine is the person who, if you're going out to dinner with them, they're not going to have an opinion. Right? So the worst thing we can do, if I work with a nine, if I'm working on a project with Hillary, the worst thing I can do to her is give her an open-ended, do anything you want. But I know because she's worked with me on teams, I've said, hey, this is the theme. This is the direction I want to go. Run with it. That's fantastic because I'm not telling her how to do the stage. I'm going to say feathers and arrows, that's our theme. How she does the feathers, how she does the arrows, the way she comes up with it, that's all up to her. But I also don't want to do this. I would like to see feathers this way. I want you to angle them that way. I've already got the dimension set out. You need to fill this space because that says I don't value you. The way that you feel already is like you're un insignificant and nobody actually wants you around. I know that that's your inner feeling, so I don't want to not give you a choice. So if you're married to a nine and it's so annoying that they never know what they want for dinner, here's what you do. Hey, we're going to go out this weekend. Uh, do you want to go to Pad Thai? Do you want to go to Longhorn? Or do you want to go to Red Lobster? Give them the option. And even though when it comes to Friday you had a business lunch you didn't expect on Thursday and you went to the place they choose, go there anyway because they've just made a decision. Like, that was huge for them. <laughs> that was huge. So you're going to want to give them those opportunities. Set it in parameters. Set them up for success. Uh, because, again, if they want to live in harmony but they feel like they're insignificant, they're going to continue to push themselves aside until they erupt. And that's the last thing we would ever want to do to anybody. So I'm going to stop talking. I'm sure you guys have questions. You came in here for something. So what are some questions that you have that we can address? Yeah. Yes. Yep, there's a lot of meaning. All right, so for instance, I am a six. This is me. When I am in a really good place, I'm going to go to a nine. So if I'm healthy, I'm living, you know, when I've spent time with Jesus and I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing in life, this is where I'm going to be. I'm going to see all sides to a story. I'm going to be able to understand different concepts. But when I'm in a bad place and I'm emotionally unhealthy, I'm right here. I'm going to a three. So you see there's lines coming to and from each one. I'm going to go to a three. I'm going to become overly concerned with making, like controlling a situation, with being in charge and making sure that people know that I know what I'm talking about. For me, most days, I don't care if you know, think I know what I'm talking about. Shame on you if I know what I'm talking about and you don't think I do. Like, that's the way I think about it. Doesn't phase me one bit. We can have a difference of opinion. That's okay. I could be right and you don't see it. That usually doesn't bother me. But if I'm not healthy, I'm not going to be okay with that. I'm going to try and prove myself. I'm going to try and make a point. I'm going to be in control of that. Same thing. So with a two, for instance, the two, which is that calm, peaceful, hardworking, when they're in a good place, they're going to go to a four. They're going to be okay with being a little bit different. They're going to be a little bit more laid back and romantic and just kind of like life is good. It's okay to feel. I don't need to deny myself anymore because the twos are really good about that, right? They deny themselves for the needs of others. But at the four, they go to that place that it's really good for me. And I'm, I'm, I'm okay. It's all right that I told somebody no because I'm valued and I'm all right. But if a two isn't in a good place, they're like, oh, come. you're laughing. Are you married to her? Do you know her well? Do you work together? Okay. <laughs> you're sitting next to her. I'm just saying, if you're friends, don't cross her. Like, <laughs> don't cross her. <laughs> Oh, yeah, yep, see? Yep, we got that in the front row. I, I see it every day. Um, yeah, so that's, that's important to know. Uh, we do have a place where we go to that's in health and a place that we go to that's in stress. So, um, yeah, it's kind of funny, and I didn't obviously didn't know this when I married, but I'm a six. I go to a three when I'm not healthy, and I go to a nine when I'm healthy. My husband is a three, and he's like one of the only ones that's exact opposite. My husband goes to a nine when he's unhealthy. 
So he's going to be passive aggressive. He's going to shut down. I remember when we first got married, I'd be like, argue with me. Like, I grew up with brothers. I got married at 18. Listen, it took a long time, and some of you guys were stupid and immature. When I was 18 and got married, I would like, he was like my brother, right? Argue with me. Come on, right? No, thank God for you. Thank you for putting up with me those first five years. But he goes to a very passive aggressive side, not the healthy side of the nine. But when he's in a good place, he goes to the healthy sides of that six. He is loyal and supportive and safe and reassuring. Um, so we all have a, a number that we would come to or, or go away from, just depending on where we're at. Anybody else? Any other questions in the room? Yeah, there are some that are naturally going to pair well together for sure. Um, there is, I just want, if you guys are on Enneagram, Enneagram Ashton, follow her. I think it's a her. She's fantastic. She's got, she's got great uh, content on there, but she spends a lot of time talking through friendships with that, working in that. Um, around the holidays, it'll be like gifts for that personality type. Um, I will say this, though, and this is important to know, how we touched on it at the beginning, um, not to use our number as an excuse. Um, the five and the seven are the most incompatible. However, we have a couple at our church that's a five and a seven on staff. So our kid's pastor is married to our associate pastor, Matt. He's a five. His wife is a seven. So the five is like structured and needs information, all these things where the seven is like, party, right? One get, gives and does in excess and the other likes to hoard and make sure that resources and things are how they're supposed to be. Um, not compatible. And the Enneagram, as you know, at first glance, however, they have a great marriage. And it's because they love the Lord. And we're not supposed to just stay, right? Our motivation won't necessarily change, but you do want to work on that and not use it as an excuse. Well, I'm like this and you're like that and be rigid. No relationship is ever going to be healthy like that. You had a question? Yeah, definitely. I would say there's a lot of free um, Enneagram tests, like Truity, I think, is one that I've done. The Enneagram Institute, Tru I, think, I think it's T-R-U-I-T-Y. Um, the Enneagram Institute is really great. Um, I will say this. I'm a six. I know that I'm a six. I've never tested as a six. As a mom, as a wife, as a pastor, I'm in a helping position in every area of my life, right? I have tested it as a two so many times. I have I am not a two, like, I'm not a two. Um, however, I've also tested as a nine more than anything else. I'm not a nine. I'm for sure not a nine. That's not how I'm motivated. It's not what I struggle with. However, when I'm in it, I'm like, that makes me feel good when I test as a nine. Um, and one time I actually did, I was really grumpy. I tested as a three when I took the test. So the test is not always accurate, um, but again, that's, that's the way it's meant to be. Are you acting like you're healthy? Or are you acting like you're not? Um, so don't be discouraged. I do think the best way is to read the books because it's going to dive in a little bit more. I know we're running out of time, but just um, it's going to take into consideration the test, what you've been through. The books will not. So growing up the way I did, I had a lot of trauma. Um, so as I'm taking the test, I'm like, well, it depends. And what situation? Who said that? Who did it? So it's going to look very different for me, and it's not going to be as accurate where uh, some of you, it might, it might be like, yes, my husband's been a three every time, but he's a three through and through. Um, so, yeah, I, again, the road back to you. And if you're not interested in reading, that's my tip. Go ahead and just read the first page of each chapter. It has like 20 questions to know if you're a one, 20 questions to know if you're a two. If you relate to a lot of them, read that. And as you're reading it, like, no, not that, no, not that, it's probably – not that, read the other ones. Anybody else? One last question before we get out of here. Yeah. So, how do you know when you're in a relationship? Yes. If you So, we had them take the test. Um, they all tested as what they were. Because, um, again, it's just probably those of us who have, so, yeah, it's the weirdos <laughs> in the room, uh, the people who've had trauma and just a lot of times they six test as other things. Because again, we do what we need to do to feel safe. I can be whoever you need me to be in a room. 
That is so easy for me. I can I can easily walk into a room and see what, like I'm reading the room like ESP. Oh, this is the temperature of the room. I'll sit right here. Oh, this is what they're doing in that room? Okay, like that's real easy for me, but a six is gonna test that way as well. Um, so yeah, we did that and then we're doing a teaching on it. We have a lot of conversations as well in our staff meetings just trying to make sure that we're loving each other well and being intentional. Time, right? I don't even know what time it is. All right. I hope you learned something. If not, sorry, I hope you learned something in the rest of the day. <laughs> Thanks for coming. And I will hopefully see you in the hallways.